Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to Eastern Border. And this uh, bit shorter episode shall be all about Navalny and what's going on with him now. You see, a few days ago, he was supposed to arrive back home to Russia from Berlin, where he was um, sent away with, with full security, and he was supposed to arrive at Vnukovo Airport, where everything was cordoned and there was a massive, massive thing there. You know, all of his supporters gathered there. And before we get into what happened to him, well, the thing that was bothering the Russian government, who tried to poison him, was the fact that all about this Yves Rocher case. That thing, in which his probation period was supposed to expire on 30th December 2020, well, that got him into trouble. See, two days earlier, on 28th of December... The Federal Predatory Service declared that Navalny had violated the terms of his probation and was deliberately evading corrective services oversight by remaining abroad in Germany, where he was rushed in August for life-saving medical treatment, following, well, Russians poisoning him, like, seriously, with Novichok. Citing an article published on December 22nd in the medical journal The Lancet, which we have uh, also mentioned in the previous episode about the Jewish plot, about Navalny's battle with Novichok poisoning, the prison service announced that he had made a full recovery from his illness as early as October 12th. The agency also ordered Navalny to appear at its Moscow office within 24 hours on December 29th, vowing to ask a court to revoke his probation and incarcerate him if he failed to return home. In early January, the Federal Penitentiary Service filed a lawsuit arguing that Navalny evaded its oversight. Navalny's original probation could be overturned and he could face a new cumulative sentence if he's convicted of committing another felony. For instance, large-scale embezzlement, which he is accused of, which is, of course, another trial charge, which um, Amnesty International, for one, has already called him a prisoner of conscience. It so happens that federal investigations recently did accuse him, so that's the thing. 
And, uh, yeah, before Navalny took his seat on the plane back to Moscow, journalists swarmed him for several months in the aisle, asking if he was arrested upon arrival in Russia. They'll arrest me. They'll arrest me when we land. That's impossible, the politician said, insisting on his rights as a Russian citizen to come home. And besides, his deal had been dealt with in the European Court of uh, Justice, fully, fully admonishing him of any faults whatsoever. Now... The problem happened and started when police at Vnokovo airport arrested several of Navalny's most prominent supporters, including Lyubov Sobol, Ruslan Shevedinov, Konstantin Kotov, Oleg Navalny, his brother, Ilya Pachomov, Anastasia Kadyetova, and Alexei Molokhoyedov, as well as Novia Gazeta journalist Vlad Dokshkin. The retainees were being escorted to police vans waiting outside. This was sort of interesting. And then... They deployed riot police inside the whole airport. After that, Navalny's flight had been rerouted to Sheremetyevo airport because, well, obviously, at Nukovo, he had a lot of supporters, so they rerouted this. After arriving inside the Sheremetyevo airport, Alexei Navalny told the reporters that he apologizes to his fellow passengers who were inconvenienced by his return to Moscow and the authorities' apparent decision to reroute the plane in order to disrupt his welcome party. He repeated that he does not fear arrest and says that he expects to return home tonight without any problems, insisting he's done nothing illegal. Finishing these remarks, he made his way to passport control. And, uh, that was the last we saw of him. Because, well, the police arrested Alexei Navalny upon arrival in Moscow. Russian authorities had to decide what to do with him. See, the Russian authorities followed through on their threat to arrest opposition figure Alexei Navalny on Sunday, January 17th, taking him into police custody after he landed at, well, directed Sheremetyevo International Airport. Let me remind you there was also a nice little tweet from one of the pilots who kind of reported that, yeah, the plane barely had enough gasoline to go there, and that this really inconvenienced everyone else. But not like anyone in Russian government actually cared about the health and well-being of other passengers, because they just rerouted the plane, because Navalny was there. And we will see why, and how things unfolded soon anyways. Ahead of his arrival in Moscow, officials urged journalists and supporters to avoid congregating at the airport, citing coronavirus safety concerns. Before Navalny landed in Moscow with his wife Yulia, police arrested several of his supporters and a handful of journalists. The authorities also deployed riot police to clear areas of the airport. Navalny had spent five months recuperating in Germany from an exposure of, well, Novichok, so he really wanted to come back home. So, well, they just arrested him, even before passport control, and uh, even though he himself was quoted as saying that this is the happiest day of his life, and uh, that he's very happy to return to Russia while wearing all the masks and everything, he technically didn't even enter Russia because he really couldn't go through passport control. He was arrested before passport control, and uh, his attorney was not allowed to go and uh, visit him. What happened afterwards? Well, one of the weirdest things that had ever happened. Because you see, he was basically arrested there, and for more than four hours after his arrest, Navalny's location was unknown. 
and he had no contact with his lawyers for nearly 15 hours. At the time of this writing, the writing of Miss Crypt, Navalny was being held at the police station in the town of Himki, near Moscow, where a court hearing was taking place to determine if he would be remanded in custody pending the court ruling on revoking his probation. And that's really dumb, because the court really came to him, and it was just idiotical. They wanted to make an open court hearing, but they didn't let anyone inside except the probed state propaganda journalists. There were no independent journalists left inside, and uh, it was quite weird. See, a court hearing regarding Alexei Navalny's case began at 12.30 p.m. local time on Monday, January 18, inside a police station in the town of Himki outside Moscow, where the opposition activist had been held since he was taken to police custody after landing in Sheremetyevo. Navalny's lawyer, Olga Mikhailova, was informed of the hearing just moments before it was sent to begin. Leonid Volkov, the head of Lavani's regional network, posted a photo of notice on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, it was just posted literally an hour before the hearing. This was just the start of Hall of the Tsarness. Navarney commented on the situation in a video filmed inside the police department, which was posted by his spokeswoman, Kira Ryarimish. Why is this session taking place in the police station? I don't understand. Why was no one notified? Why was no summons given? We just blatantly tore up the criminal procedure code and threw it in the trash. What's happening here is impossible. This is simply the highest degree of lawlessness. An aide from the Himki City Court told MBX Media that Navalny's hearing is taking place at a local police department so the journalists can cover the proceedings. Quote, Because of the working regime of the court, we have to limit access to the citizens. Therefore, journalists wouldn't be allowed in the courtroom. Due to the fact that this is a high-profile case, the decision was made so that journalists could attend the hearing at the police station because we have coronavirus, there are many sick employees. However, as MBK Media underscores, most journalists aren't being allowed inside the police department and they were waiting outside on the street. Earlier, Navalny stated that only reporters from the outlet Life and the state television channel Russia 24 were present. The opposition activist called for all journalists to be admitted to the hearing. Lawyers were not allowed to see Navalny prior to the hearing. He was unable to contact them for around 15 hours. Navalny's legal defense team tried to reach him all night, but they were not allowed to enter the police department. According to lawyer Vyacheslav Gimadi, who works for Navalny's anti-corruption foundation, he was told that Navalny was sleeping. Initially, police officers said that they would let the lawyers in at 9 o'clock in the morning, but in the end, Navalny's lawyers Olga Mikhalkova and Vadim Kobzev were only allowed entry around 11 o'clock, which is an hour and a half before the weird court thing. And, uh, yeah, the whole court determined that he would basically spend a lot of time, 30 days in SISO, or the special pre-court cases, until the whole court thing is determined because this was a only a pre-court. Now he has to spend 30 days under a massive arrest in jail. If this court goes through, Navalny will receive a 3.5-year prison sentence, which will be reduced due to time already spent under house arrest, under which he spent 10 months off. Now, obviously, Western countries were calling on Moscow to free Navalny immediately. United States Secretary, at the time, because this happened before the inauguration ceremony, one of the last things Trump administration did, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo issued a statement of concern, and Jake Sullivan, President-elect Joe Biden's National Security Advisor, also called for Navalny's immediate release. 
Canada, the United Kingdom and a number of European Union countries also condemned Navalny's detention involving, well, all of us in the Baltics. In response to a statement from foreign diplomats, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said that Western politicians are glad to copy the same statements because it allows them to distract themselves from domestic problems. They're glad because it seems that this makes Western politicians think that in this way they can distract themselves from the deepest crisis that the liberal model of the development finds itself in. Which is, well, what else? <laughs> no, seriously, what else would Lavrov even say? Hey guys, Annette here. I hope you are enjoying our new episode of The Eastern Border. As always, a big thank you to all of our Patreons. The show would not be possible without your help. If you are not a Patreon and would like to become one, head over to the Eastern Border page on patreon.com. Please remember to also follow us on our social media, like Twitter, where we are known as Eastern underscore Border, and on our Facebook page. We also have a Discord server, so if you're interested in that, find the link in the description of this podcast. That's it for now. See you online. This podcast brought to you by RussianVoiceOvers.eu. Enjoy. So the last thing Navalny did was, um, well, during his so-called court session was he um, asked out his supporters to go out in the streets in the 23rd of January to do some nice little protesting action because he told the media and everyone who follows him on YouTube and Instagram they can't hold you back from the streets and that this government has just stepped over all of the boundaries. Meanwhile, by the way, the Bulgarian journalist that had uh, kind of discovered all the Navalny's poisoning case, he's up to revealing something even bigger, finding out, leaking out even more stuff. Following these widespread reports of police officers issuing warrants to opposition figures and activists across Russia, law enforcement officials in Moscow have arrested several Navalny's closest associates. Uh, this is exactly because of his, well, Protestant um, plan for Sunday. On the evening of January 21st, police detained the opposition figure's press secretary, Kira Yarmish, as well as anti-corruption foundation employees Lyubov Sobol, Georgi Alburov, and Vladen Los. Similar arrests have also been reported in three other cities so far. On the evening of Thursday, January 21st, police in Moscow arrested quite a lot of employees of the anti-corruption foundation FBK. I'll just call them FBK from now on. Georgi Alburov, who works for the FBK's investigative department, was arrested at Moscow's Leningradsky railway station and taken to the police station in Krasnodelsky district. Police officers also arrived at the home of Navalny's press secretary. She remained inside her apartment for more than an hour, refusing to open the door to the police who threatened to write her up for administrative violation. Yarmish was arrested after her lawyer arrived on the scene. Police officers then proceeded to inspect her apartment. According to the state news agency TASS, Alburov and Yarmish were detained for inciting unauthorized protests. Earlier in the day, on Tuesday, two lawyers working for the FBK were also arrested. Lyubov Sobol and Vladen Los. Sobol was taken to the Moscow police station to be written up for inciting protests. Vladen Los, who, by the way, is a Belarusian national and a citizen of Belarus, was ordered to leave the country by January 25th and slapped with a 2.5-year entry ban to keep him from returning to Russia. In addition, Mansur Gilmanov, a lawyer from the human rights organization Apologia Protesta, was attacked at the Danilovsky police station when he tried to visit Los in custody.
Police officers also came looking for Oleg Stepanov, the coordinator of Team Navalny's Moscow office, but he wasn't home. According to Stepanov, journalist Elizaveta Nesterova was the only inside the apartment at the time. Prior to the police visit, Stepanov's home lost power. He has since appealed to the Interior Ministry to turn his electricity back on. At the time of recording, Nesterova claims that the police is still waiting for Stepanov, who remains safely hidden. They try to stop everything. Arrests are also taking place in other Russian cities. For example, law enforcement officials in Krasnodar arrested, arrested Anastasia Panchenko, the coordinator of Navalny's local team office. In the town of Lebedyan, Lipetsk region, police officers arrested 50-year-old Galina Grebennikova, who was planning to attend an upcoming rally in support of Navalny. A volunteer from Team Navalny's local headquarters in Kaliningrad was detained as well. So, this is kind of, um... This is kind of what's happening there. They're really afraid of everything, and, um... Well, the response from the official authorities has been interesting, and even the response from the so-called sanction opposition. Both uh, Zyuganov and I made a post on Twitter slamming Antifa and leftists. And in this case, I truly mean leftist and Antifa, because I'm quoting Zyuganov, the leader of Russia's Communist Party, who claims to be the number one Antifa on the whole planet, and all the other Antifas should listen to his advice and, well, follow it, obviously, because he, uh, according to himself, being the leader of the Russian Communist Party, is the number one Antifa on the planet. Putin also claims to be Antifa. LDPR, Zhirinovsky, who threatens to nuke all the Western Europe and calls everyone a gay liberal fascist, also claims to be anti-fa. They all claim to be anti-fa. Uh, guess why I have low opinion of anti-fa? Just, just saying, right? Uh, yeah, they all are claiming that Navalny is a traitor to the state and that he should be executed and that everything he's done is extremely, extremely terrible. Now, why are they saying that? Well, because Navalny has not just been quiet in his, well, as uh, they say in Russian, which is the term for the solitary confinement, because he's completely alone in a camera meant for three people. But due to COVID, it's, it's just Navalny in there. Now, um, it's kind of weird that when, you know, Mr. Zyuganov, who visits Lenin's grave each year and... Uh, person who hates communists the most, the LDPR guy, Zhirinovsky, and everyone else is just angry about Navalny's investigations. And even Putin's, um, Putin's press secretary, Peskov, doesn't know what Navalny is talking about. It's all because Navalny, while in prison, just before these whole allegation things and all of the things that happened, doing the arrests, preparing for the protests, Navalny being arrested, released another investigation. This time, the first investigation targeting Putin personally. Oh boy, and this, this really hurt him. Because this now has around, at the time of recording, 30 million views on YouTube. Uh, it has commentary, very quality, good commentary on, um, on English, on YouTube as well. So just look up Putin's palaces or just go to Navalny and just press enter and find his channel and just look at the investigation yourself. It really has excellent subtitles. I recommend everyone watch it. But uh, here's a short summary. And, well, Navarney's hurting the whole system and really is now aiming to become the number one revolutionary and number one politician of the whole country. See, before Alexei Navarney flew home to Moscow and surrendered himself to the Russia's legal system, 
The anti-corruption activist lit the fuse on what is perhaps the biggest, boldest investigation as of right now. Navalny's 14,000 word report. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 14 fucking thousand word report. Sadly, not available in English, which is quite sad, but it's also a, a two-hour video, and like I said, it has excellent subtitles in, um, in English, and I will probably link this in the video description, but basically, just type Navalny, like I said, in the YouTube, and you'll find it. Yeah, this is a video about Vladimir Putin's palace in Gelezhnik, on the Black Sea coast. It's packed with drone footage and colorful images, including artistic visualizations of the mansion's interior. On social networks and in the news media, the investigation immediately attracted significant attention for its extremely detailed descriptions of the residents' opulence and endless renovations. Navalny says outright that Putin's apparent obsession with luxury borders on mental illness. But Navalny's investigation also painstakingly chronicles the ownership and management schemes used to disguise how Russia's longtime president allegedly came to be in possession of the country's most valuable private home. He lives way, way more luxurious than many, many Arabian sheikhs and oil magnets. He is truly the king of luxury. And uh, when I say allegedly, yeah, Navalny says allegedly. I say definitely. I mean, seriously. Now, I'll just give you a short recap, because, you know, it's all about following the money. See, the report begins with a trip in time back to the 1980s, when Vladimir Putin was still serving with the KGB in Dresden. Navalny argues that Putin was essentially a nobody in these days, though he was making important personal connections that would lift his career back in Russia and later protect untold riches. I think he's definitely one of the most richest people on the planet, Definitely richer than Elon Musk, who I personally adore. Elon Musk is kind of my personal hero, and if I ever would get an interview on him on the show, I'd be happy. Like, extremely happy. And if you guys can, um, like, I don't know, message him, or if you work in Tesla and, and can get this through to Elon Musk, please, please, I really want Elon Musk on the show. But that's a sidetrack. At any rate... Navalny names many of these faithful acquaintances and colleagues, singling out figures like Sergei Cheremezov, Nikolai Tokarev, and future heads of Transneft and Rostec, respectively. Navalny's team says it acquired 
faxed correspondence between Putin's wife and a German companion named Irene Pitch, who wrote a book about this friendship in 2002 that quickly and mysteriously disappeared from bookshelves in Russia. Miss Putin's letters describe European vacations with the Chemezovs and Shamalovs, future ex-in-laws, including a trip to France that Putin had to cut short when he was appointed the director of the FSB. This contradicts public records indicating that Putin had been alone in the Baltic Sea at the time. Vladimir Putin's usual tan at his appointment ceremony, however, seems to corroborate the French vacation story in his wife's letters. Miss Putina faxed her letters, and by the way, because we had an interview with Miss Putina and got a bunch of uh, stuff from her about Putin's doubles and his possible death, yeah, that's when we started getting death threats, and that's how I lost my ex-wife. Just saying, that's uh, so I'm inclined to trust her. Well, she faxed her letters to, to her German pen pal from a machine that stamped the messages St. Petersburg Seaport and Interkommerzwarring, apparently linking the Putins to the mobster Ilya Traber, who controlled commerce at the seaport at the time, and Matthias Waring, another Stasi colleague from Putin's days in Dresden, who later founded a bank in St. Petersburg and helped the Putins with various expenditures, like travel and medical costs. For this benevolence, the family friend was rewarded with interest, Navalny says, referring to Waring's current position as the managing director of the Nord Stream AG, which manages the construction and operation of the Nord Stream gas pipeline from Russia to Germany and his roles as a board member at Rosneft, Transneft, Bank Russia, and Rusal, as well as a supervisory board member at VTB Bank and as an administrative council member at Swiss Gazprom. That's a lot of positions for a person to take. Navalny states, corrupt officials in the Yeltsin administration tapped Putin to run the FSB because they needed someone who could protect them, which is precisely what Putin did. In October 1998, for example, Attorney General Yuri Skuratov started investigating Pavel Borodin, the head of Yeltsin's presidential property management department and someone who helped save Putin from obsolence and possible criminal prosecution in St. Petersburg for embezzling money from Kremlin contacts. Within a few months, Skuratov was ousted with Putin's help, says Navalny. In these early years in Moscow, a new core principle in Russian politics was supposedly taking shape. If you want to steal from the government or embezzle state funds, you have to share it with Vladimir Putin. Also, nothing gets registered to Putin on paper, any risks need to be diversified, and old friends will always enjoy the greatest favoritism. Now, this is kind of um crazy, because all of this thing, the palace, which is 17,000 hectares, nearly 17,000 300 acres plot of land adjacent to Putin's residence belongs to the Russian FSB, though has been transferred to the firm that owns the palace until 2068. The uh, FBA Keys report includes a detailed floor plan of the palace which they claim to have received from the contractors. He handed it over to the investigators because he was stunned and infuriated by the luxurious furnishings. To verify their authenticity, Navalny's anti-corruption team compared the plans to the photos of the palace's interiors which leaked online in 2011. As underscored in the investigation, the entire palace is filled with exclusive pieces of furniture that are made individually by order. For example, the sofas inside the residence cost about $20,000 each. The palace's most expensive table costs $56,000. The palace has three floors and includes, among other things, a pool, saunas, Turkish spas, a reading room, a music room, a hookah bar, a private cinema, a tasting room of wine, a wine cellar, a casino, a strip club, 
as well as more than a dozen guest bedrooms. Uh, the master bedroom is nearly 260 square meters, which is about 2,800 square feet. The FBK also uncovered that not far from the palace there is 300 hectares, about 740 acres of vineyards, a chateau, vineries, oyster farms. These are also Putin's possessions. The vineries are furnished with luxury items as well. The FBK points out that the coffee table worth $58,000, an Italian toilet brush that costs $840, and a toilet paper holder valued $1,250. According to the FBK, the construction of the complex was financed by the companies linked to Vladimir Putin's friends, including the state-controlled companies Rosneft and Transneft, with the help of bogus lease payments and other corruption schemes. The anti-corruption activists called this scheme the world's largest bribe and estimated the total value spent on the palace and the vineyards to be at least $1.35 billion. He has a private soup cup there, private casino there, wine tasting rooms, everything. Totally everything. And this is just weird. This is done through so many companies, through so many firms, through basically everything and remodeling and everything possible. This is just crazy. Yeah, and a convoluted network of transfers and shell companies facilitated the finances needed to sustain Putin's palace and vineyards. A large chunks of the money come from suspicious rental agreements between state corporations and firms that operate in Gelenjinsk. For example, Rosnevsk has paid $23.1 million to one of the Putin's supposed vineyards in rent, shelling out $540,000 a month. Transnevsk has apparently paid $58.4 million to Binom, another face-up company in the similar arrangement. In fact, to legitimize monthly payments of $1.6 million, Transneft head Nikolai Tokharev makes annual visits to the area to deliver speeches and post for photos. Navalny calculates that these bizarre payments, as well as millions of rubles and questionable loans, amount to roughly $475.3 million per year. This money is in addition to the $1 billion invested in Putin's pals before 2017. This is insane. This is madness. This is crazy. This is the ultimate theft, which has just come out while Navalny is being arrested, and which is why he's being called a traitor. Now, I won't be covering the protest actions on the 23rd just yet. I'll wait until the month ends, because, like I said, I'm tired of politics and I want to do more historical episodes. A house that takes millions of dollars just to upkeep. It's more luxurious, bigger, and better than the White House itself. You guys in America, you have nothing on this. Trust me. Putin knows how to live in luxury. And all that money has been stolen from Russian citizens. This is what he's protecting. With his life. And this is what he wants to upkeep. To make sure that he stays in power. So, now you know. Navalny's arrest... Putin's palaces. And please, again, support us on Patreon, click the donate button on our homepage, and we're going to have a nice little arrangement with a store that sells Russian and Soviet-themed clothing soon, and I'm trying to get them to sell my own t-shirts, but yeah, it's going to be one of those things where we go, hey, click this link, get a discount. Well, it all looks good on paper. I hope that it all works out. 
Also, we have a Bitcoin wallet and a um, and an Ethereum wallet. If you are interested in any of those or are meddling with this, please let us know. And, well, like I said, I'll keep you updated. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The Dark Myths Void. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.